welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy. Hello, Kingdom Culture Church. This is Teo Hayashi and I'm speaking to you out of Sao Paulo, Brazil. Junior and I and the boys have just come back to Sao Paulo after a full year uh, living in Hawaii and uh, working with the University of the Nations and uh, taking sabbatical time. And uh, I received the call from Pastor Sean and uh, just inviting to bring a word and share my heart with you. And I was so joyful because I feel that I, I really, you know, we're, we've been just this full year just receiving, receiving. And it's our privilege to be able to share a little bit. So uh, we love Pastor Sean and Michelle, Gaby, everything that you guys have been doing there through Kingdom Culture Church and uh, the whole movement, the whole staff. I think I know a few of you guys uh, from the staff. It's been a while since we've been with you. I believe, I don't know, Sean, maybe three years ago, last time that we've been there physically, it was, it was before the pandemic, and uh, we were so touched to just to be with you and share moments in the presence of the Lord. And, and so tonight, uh, I want to just share something with you. It's, it's tonight here. I don't know what time it is over there, but uh, I, I was really in prayer for, for this message, and I felt the Lord say that this whole message was a prophetic declaration over kingdom culture. I, I remember one of the first times I had contact with the leadership team of Kingdom Culture and just to see the synergy, the passion that you guys carried, uh, just the, the, the God dreams that were embedded in your spirits. I mean, it, it was so encouraging. And, and living in the world that we live in today in the West, uh, I think uh, diversity is a big issue. And uh, I think that as I look around, I see a lot of people looking to secular voices to receive answer for things that the Bible had the absolute truth all along. And so one of my passions this year has been to point the body of Christ and the people around me back to the word. And what is the word, uh, what is the word saying about the, 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 the conflicts and, and just the controversies that we see in society today? Even in the midst of a pandemic and even in the midst of uh, trying times, uh, things that have been raised up by the mainstream media and social media and, and you're hearing all, all around you. I believe that as we look into the word that we will see the absolute truth and the only true sustainable answers. So I, I look at Kingdom Culture Church as a place of unity and diversity in the kingdom of God. Let me say this again. I look at Kingdom Culture Church as a place of unity and diversity in the kingdom of God. That is my message today, unity and diversity in the kingdom of God. And, and I want to just dive in into three truths that we need to really catch in our spirits to live out unity and diversity in the kingdom of God. 
So my question to you today is, why is it that we fight for revival and reformation? Why is it that we fight to see nations being discipled? You know, why is it that we believe that women should be empowered? Why are we so concerned about the future generation and we look at the children and we understand that they have the same Holy Spirit that is accessible to us? Why is it that we are so concerned with the ones that are suffering, the ones that are marginalized? Why do we believe in the multi-ethnic expression of the body of Christ? I want to talk about these things. And and I, I want to suggest to you that as we focus on the why, we will grasp the intent of the heart of God for these questions. You know, so many times we can live out Christian lives, and we just join a church, and we see the outreach programs, and we see the small groups where discipleship happens, and we love the Sunday expressions and the Sunday experience, and we're so encouraged by just the routine of the church, and suddenly you're three, four years in, and you really don't understand why is it that I fight for the things that I fight for? Why is it that I believe in what I believe? And so I want to jump into this because I believe that the kingdom of God brings in the answers to these questions. You know, in the kingdom of God, the the heart of God is better caught than taught. I I will be doing teaching today, but I want to pray for you and pray with you that you will be able to catch it. You need to grasp it. Because, yes, there are things that will challenge your thinking, and, yes, there will be things that I believe will renew your mind, but also I think there is a deposit in the spirit for you. And the whole message is a prophetic word for kingdom culture, and and as you are being led by Pastor Sean and Pastor Michelle, which I believe are amazing apostolic leaders that are so heavenly minded, but also are fighting for not only revival, but also reformation. And that's why I feel like we bond so well, we click so well. It's because day one, when we met each other, we had that passion for revival, but it didn't stop there. We said we need to see a revival that culminates in social transformation. And as I see Kingdom Culture Church, I believe that Kingdom Culture Church will become an example, a sample of heaven's unity and diversity on earth. Let me say that again. I believe that Kingdom Culture Church will be a kingdom embassy that reflects an example of unity and diversity on earth. So with that, let me just pray with you before we jump into these three main points. So Father God, we just thank you for Kingdom Culture Church. I thank you for Pastor Sean and Pastor Michelle and and all the pastoral staff and and the leadership of this church. I, I thank you, Father, because you are doing something special in them and through them in the city of Ottawa, in Ontario, in Canada, and in the nations. So, Father God, I pray right now that as we go deep in the word, would your Holy Spirit convict us? Would your Holy Spirit comfort us? Would your Holy Spirit just unveil things that we need to see? And may we grasp and receive the deposit in the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, now, if if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you, uh, write down one, two, three. Just number it out. I got three points for you. And, And the first one is, the kingdom of God 
forces a broad outlook. Let me repeat that. The kingdom of God forces us as Christians, as, as kingdom citizens, to always have a broad outlook. You know, as we understand the gospel of the kingdom, as we grow in the revelation of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom, there is, there is this kingdom force that is constantly stretching us to avoid narrowness and taking us to a broad outlook of what the body of, God, of Christ looks like, of what the kingdom of God looks like. So understand that you can afford to have a Christianity that is narrow. You, you, you can afford to have a Christianity that is self-serving, that, that is just heavenly minded and no earthly good, if all you think about the gospel is the gospel of salvation. Let me repeat this. If all you think about the gospel is the gospel of salvation, that's all you have in terms of understanding of the gospel, let me say something. You can afford to become very egocentric, to become very monocultural or very narrow. You can afford to become just very... So super uber spiritual and no earthly good because a gospel of salvation will not stretch your broadness, if that makes sense. Now, when we're talking about the gospel of the kingdom, we're actually talking about the central message that Jesus preached while he was here on earth. And, and I'm afraid that many people don't understand this because as I talk to Christians around the nations so many of them have their Christianity revolving around only the gospel of salvation. It's all about you getting saved. Now, you may ask, are you against people being saved? Oh, no, never. I always want people to get saved. That is the heart of God. That's what the word tells us, that God desires that all should be saved. So, yes, I want people to be saved. But let me tell you something. That is not the end. That is just the beginning. And when we preach a very short and narrow gospel of salvation only, people are missing out on the, in the, of the, on the fullness of the gospel. The gospel that Jesus preached was not the gospel of salvation. I'm afraid that many people don't really understand this. The gospel that Jesus preached was not even a gospel of love. The gospel that Jesus preached wasn't a gospel of grace. If you really look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see that whenever Jesus is preaching a gospel, the gospel that he's preaching is the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, it, all you need to do is do your homework. Just go through the four gospels, and you will see every time he makes a mention publicly of a gospel that he's bringing or a good news that he's proclaiming, he is saying, I've got good news. It is the good news of the kingdom of God to you. He says, hey, the kingdom of God is here. I mean, he's always proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. I want to open certain passages with you real quick, so just come with me as I go real fast through these, these uh, references. You take notes, and you, if, whenever, if you can't follow through, just study them later. Matthew 4, verse 17 says this. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's talking about the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. 
verse 23 of Matthew chapter 4. Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he healed all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease among the people. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he was healing every sickness and disease among the people. Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8. Jesus is telling his disciples, as you go, you preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick and cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead and cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Let's go to Luke chapter 10, verse 9. And Jesus tells his disciples, you will go there and you will heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come to you. Do you get this? Jesus is always publicly proclaiming a gospel of the kingdom. Now, tell are you against salvation or love or grace or forgiveness? No, I am not against it. Well, all I'm trying to tell you is if you get the kingdom, you will get salvation, you will get love, you will get forgiveness, and you will get grace. Why settle for less when he's given you the kingdom? See, I, I believe the church is at a point right now that unless we start grasping the gospel of the kingdom and really displaying what kingdom life looks like, it will be very hard for the world to see in the church the answers to the problems that they're facing in society. You see, as we live kingdom, the kingdom in itself already contains the answers to the problems that we're living in today. If we look at the Gospels, we can summarize all of Jesus' public ministry in four things. Really quick, what Jesus did while he was on earth. You will understand that he's always emphasizing a kingdom that he's bringing on earth. Jesus preached the kingdom. Jesus taught the kingdom. Jesus healed the sick, and Jesus cast out devils. These are the four actions that Jesus did. Now, you may ask, what is the difference between preaching the kingdom and teaching the kingdom? And uh, if you go to the root word, kerygma, is the proclaiming, it's the preaching. Jesus would sometimes come to a point and to a place where he would just proclaim the kingdom of heaven is here. And many people would say, where, where is it? And then he would bring out the sick from the crowd. He would heal the sick or, or, or deliver the oppressed. And right there he would point and say, the kingdom of God is here. You see, for something to happen in the physical, you have to have prior to the act in the physical, a proclamation or a declaration in the spirit. Jesus would declare it in the spirit. And through a step of faith, it would manifest in the physical. So Jesus would preach the kingdom, and at times he would teach the kingdom. Now, what is the difference? And in the original, these are two very distinct concepts. In Greek, the, pro, the, pro, the word for teaching would be didasko, where we get the word didactic. And Jesus would be very didactic in the way that he taught the kingdom. He would say, listen, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a leaven or, or a little piece or a little amount of leaven inside the bread dough. 
The kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. That somebody would sell everything they have to buy that piece of land because they know there's a pearl in there. So he's teaching about the kingdom. He would heal the sick and he would cast out demons. See, it's very important that you would understand the message of the kingdom. I really believe that if you don't grasp the kingdom message, you probably won't fully grasp who Jesus is. Jesus tried to explain that when he speaks to, to people in Mark 1. If you can't just open to, to this verse in Mark 1, verse 14 and 15. This is very important. And one of the key verses for today is Mark 1, 14 to 15. It says this, that after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, you've been hearing me talk about the gospel of the kingdom, gospel of the kingdom, gospel of the kingdom. Tell what exactly is the gospel of the kingdom. Verse 15 gives us the four pillars of the gospel of the kingdom. Pay attention. Verse 15, he says, the time is fulfilled. That's the first pillar. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's the second. Repent, number three. And believe in the gospel, number four. What is he trying to say? He's saying these four things. He's saying the time is fulfilled. Now, for something to be fulfilled, it has to have been prior to that moment promised. I'm the fulfillment of the promise. That's what he's saying. If he says the time is fulfilled, basically what he's saying is, I am the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies of Isaiah, of Jeremiah, of King David. I mean, all you, you go back there and he says, me. Everything your daddy, your granddaddy, your great-great-granddaddy have been studying in the synagogue, through scripture, about a Messiah to come. Me. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of those promises. Now, when he says the time is fulfilled, right there, that statement is messianic in nature. And a Messiah in the Jewish mind would never show up without a kingdom. That's why it's so key that you would understand that he's talking about a kingdom that's coming. And when he says the time is fulfilled, the second thing then he says, very natural to this train of thinking, is the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom is here. But they were expecting a physical kingdom. They were actually under the Roman oppression at the time. And so they were expecting a Messiah that would come with military power to actually deliver Israel from his, its oppressors. So they're looking and they're saying, we don't see any kingdom here. We don't see your army here. We don't, we, we don't see your military power here. All we see is you hanging out with 12 losers. So obviously, they were very offended that Jesus would put himself in a position as to suggest that he was the Messiah. And to that, Jesus would answer, repent. Remember that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was actually preparing the way, saying, hey, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What was John the Baptist saying? You better have a metanoia. You better have a changing of your thinking. You better renew your mind or else the kingdom of God will come and you won't realize it and it will pass right in front of you. 
Jesus is saying, hey, I am the Messiah. I brought a kingdom. You don't see it. You should repent. Renew your mind and you will see it. And once you renew your mind and see it, number four, believe in the gospel. Be part of the kingdom by simply believing, by simply having faith. That was the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus brought to us. And he's never asked us to preach any other gospel. He's actually commanded us publicly to preach the gospel of the kingdom and seek it above all else in, in Matthew 6, uh, 33. You know, and so when we look at the emphasis of Jesus on the gospel of the kingdom, we understand Satan's strategy. And let me tell you, Satan's strategy for Christians is very different than Satan's strategies for non-Christians. Because, you know, not, Christian people technically are moral people, are people that have ethical, you know, values, and, and, and there's a, a moral code that we follow. And so Saint's strategy is not to tempt you to go rob a bank because you're religious. You have morals. He's not going to tell you, hey, get this knife and go stab somebody. That's not going to work for you because you have morals. Satan makes us tempted when he suggests us to do good things instead of what Jesus commanded us to do. There's a lot of Christians doing good things instead of what Jesus commanded us to do. Satan makes you entertained. Pay attention. He will make you, the enemy will make you entertain preaching a partial gospel instead of preaching and living a full gospel. Satan will make you become content with the good and not the best. And so what is the best? What is the full gospel? What has Jesus commanded us to do? See, our problem as Christians is that many times, most of the times, we mix up our destination with our mission. If you're watching me right now, you're listening to my voice, you probably are a believer in Christ. And if not, let me tell you, you can become a believer in Christ right now. But I'll tell you, for most Christians, we're constantly mixing up our destination with our mission. We know that our destination is heaven. We know that that's where we're going. And so many times we treat destination as if it was our mission. We're, th we're, thinking, that, we're thinking that our mission is to try to get to heaven when in actuality that's already our destination. Our mission is not to get to heaven but bring heaven on earth. And we reduce the gospel to the Calvary, to the blood, to the cross, when, when Jesus never publicly has ever preached, be born again. Now, I know you probably are shocked, but just hold on with me. The only time that Jesus talks about being born again was not in a public setting, was in a private setting in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, a man that looks for him in the middle of the night, and he says, hey, Rabbi, I know you are a teacher come from God. You, you read that later in John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. He says, I know you are a man that comes from God because no one can do the signs that you do. And then Jesus answers him back and says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What is he saying? Hey, listen, you saw the signs that I did out there in the streets. 
You didn't understand that realm that you experienced, the other world thing that came down on this earth. That was the kingdom of God. If you want in, you need to be born again. And once you're born, once you're born again, now you can have access to the kingdom. So understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters, that, is, that it is only through the broad understanding of the kingdom of God that revival, this fire that we seek, this awakening that we seek, will come and not at the detriment of reformation. It, it is only when we grasp this gospel of the kingdom that we can have reformation not at the detriment of revival. You see, revival is the renewing of the life or, or, or of life. It's life is not lived out in a fiery way and the Holy Spirit comes and whoosh, revives you. It's the renewing of life. It's the return of your first love. It's the outpour of the Holy Spirit. However, pay attention to this. Having revival is no guarantee that you will have reformation. Let me say that again. Having revival is no guarantee that you will have reformation. Revival becomes reformation when the impact of the gospel of the kingdom begins to change the structures of culture. Revival will become reformation when the impact of the gospel of the kingdom begins to change the structures of culture. So reformation without revival becomes a man-centered quest for social action. On the other hand, revival without reformation becomes a self-indulgent Pentecostal experience that leads us nowhere. And God wants to broaden our idea of what the kingdom looks like because as he broadens it, we can then live a revival, walking alongside a reformation, and one doesn't come at the detriment of other. And it's only through that understanding of the gospel of the kingdom that we will see a thriving church live both out. And I really believe that's a key thing for Kingdom Culture Church, a church that walks in both in revival and in reformation. Now another, or the, our second idea that is very important, our second truth, is that you need to understand that the gospel of the kingdom or the, the idea, the concept of the kingdom of God is not, is not only in the New Testament, it's actually present in the Old Testament. And we see it all along the biblical narrative. We see it since Exodus that the kingdom of God in the Israel narrative and then on to the church of the New Testament. So it's important for us as the church of the New Testament, we learn from the Israel, biblical Israel narrative, the kingdom of God is, is, is flowing through our tradition, flowing through our history. So our second truth here is the kingdom of God is an idea from the Old Testament. And as we understand that, I remember even uh, looking and reading the Old Testament and seeing so many nations mentioned, you know, I am a, 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 a Japanese-Brazilian. I am Japanese-Brazilian, and I would wish to, to see, uh, as, a, as a young believer, maybe I could see the mention of, uh, of Japan here or a mention of Brazil in the scriptures. I, I see Syria being mentioned. I see Israel being mentioned. I see, uh, you know, Jordan being mentioned. I, I, and I never found Brazil or Japan in the scriptures. 
and I know I was bummed about it, but you know what? At the end of the day, God simply chose Israel. He chose Israel to be the example of all. Now, I don't know if you are your, uh, you know, the oldest of your siblings. I am. I have a younger sister, Zoe, and uh, I am the oldest, but I uh, remember hanging out and growing up with my cousins, and one of my closest cousins, he was actually the second one. And I remember observing him as I grew up because my older cousin, his older brother, would commit mistakes, and my younger cousin would always escape exhortation or reprimand because he watched what his older brother did in terms of mistakes and he would correct himself or avoid punishment. The same is the case with Israel. You see, Israel is like our older brother. And if you're a younger brother or a younger sister, at times you look at your older brother, your, your older sister, and say, hey, that's how they got spanked. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to avoid that. In the same manner, we get to learn by watching the older brother's mistakes and how he interacts with our father. Israel went ahead of us, living out the concept of the kingdom of God. And Israel, as the firstborn nation that God created, not out of a, a bunch of people that were scattered, no. He created out of one man, Abraham. And he makes that covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And he, he promises, I will give you a seed, I will give you a land, and I will make you a blessing to the nations. So think about the kingdom concept, even in the biblical narrative of Israel, tracing back to Abraham. Now, you know, Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. You follow? And Isaac had a son. His name was Jacob. Remember that? And God changes his name to Israel. So, so there is a covenant that is running down that bloodline. A covenant that says, I will give you a land, I will give you a next generation, and I will give you the ability to be a blessing to the nations. So it starts from Abraham, goes to Isaac, goes to Jacob, and then from Jacob, his name is changed to Israel, 12 sons, 12 tribes, remember that? And, and out of that, out of the 12 tribes comes Israel, or, I'm sorry, Joseph. And Joseph leads Israel to Egypt by saving his family. And Joseph really is a Messiah type. Now, Israel is in Egypt for, I don't know, 430 years. 430 years in Egypt as slaves. And now Moses shows up. And now he is to bring out Israel from Egypt. And now they're not only 12 sons, they are 2.5 million to 3 million people. 2.5 million to 3 million people. And as Moses is bringing out Israel from Egypt and leading them into the desert, this is what God tells Moses about Israel. He says in Exodus 19 verse 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right there, God is looking at Israel coming out of Egypt, 2.5 million or even 3 million people. And he says, you will get to live the kingdom of God. You will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God says to this, this organized lump or mass of people that had spent most of their lives, all of their lives, next to the Nile, 
the Nile River. But today they're free, but no experience to do whatever they have to do in the desert. Now, these people have no experience in nationhood. They have no idea how to become a nation. And God says, hey, I'm giving you a national plan. I want this nation to be the reflection of the kingdom of God on earth. You will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This was a national plan and not an individual plan. Let me say that again because we've been living days where the individual has been so glorified. And it's important that you would have an individual resolve. It's important that you make an individual decision to follow Christ. It's important that you pick up your own cross. However, never lose sight of the fact that he has a national plan. Now, you may have a family, maybe you're married, you got kids. Let me tell you, God has a plan for your family, amen? Do you believe that? That God has a plan for your kids and for your spouse and, and, and for your nuclear family? God has a plan for you. But you know, what happens when families become the families of families? Let me ask you again. What happens when a family multiplies and now your three sons each marry uh, their own spouses, and they have their own kids, and now from one family, you have now four families, and then time goes on, and they have their own three kids, and they multiply, and you get the point. What happens when families become a families of families is that we have a tribe. We have a tribe. And let me tell you that God has a tribal plan. Pay attention to this. It's important because tribes have their own ways of doing things. And tribes and ethnicities are an idea from God. I don't know why that, that many people in the secular mentality think that, you know, ethnicities, the differences, the diversity, oh, my gosh, that's just a big hurdle for us to try to fix and, and try to, you know, coexist. Let me tell you something the fact that we have tribes that constitute themselves in their own ethnicities, that was an idea from God. Tribes and ethnicities aren't a mistake. They were preordained by the Lord. That's why when it comes from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, from Jacob when it's turned to Israel, now boom, 12 tribes. The Lord could have continued in one bloodline, but he decides to ramify in tribes. You know why? Because when a tribe agrees on beliefs, when a tribe agrees on values, and when a tribe agrees on a vision, a tribe is powerful. Do you believe that? When, when the ethnic groups decide to serve under one king, then you have a power that is unstoppable, and it will become one nation. And that was the original plan for biblical Israel. So, so follow with me the story. Moses takes him through the desert, years and years in the desert. Now they finally make it to Canaan. And now they have their own land. And now they become very comfortable. They start multiplying, they start building, and they become complacent. And then now soon they want their own king. I'm fast-forwarding this, this message. 1 Samuel 8, verse 6. 1 Samuel 8, verse 6 says that the thing that displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. 
And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. What is happening here? The people of Israel were not satisfied with having God as their king. They're looking at their neighbors and they're saying, hey, the other nations have actual, real, physical kings. We want our own physical king. And they're coming to Samuel, prophet Samuel, saying, hey, talk to God. We want our own king. Samuel goes and talks to God. I mean, he had probably an awkward conversation. And God tells Samuel, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They have rejected me. They're asking for their own king. Now, what happens when they start asking for their own king and they reject God? There are six books in the Bible that gives us the summary of the history of the kings of Israel. Israel trying to live their own version of the kingdom of God. Israel trying to say, hey, God, king of kings, we know how to be a kingdom. And God is saying, hey, you'll read that in 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and 1 and 2 Chronicles. Six books that will give you the summary of the history of the kings of Israel. And I'll give you the summary, actually. Except for King David, it was pretty much a disaster. Except for King David, I mean, everything else was kaput. And King David was, was till today considered the best king that Israel had. Now, why was it that King David was the best king that Israel had? Many people will say, well, because he was a man after God's own heart. Oh, because he was a worshiper, because he was a priest, because he was a warrior. And I get that. But I want to suggest to you in this line of thinking that maybe King David was the best king that Israel had because it was only King David that was able to unify all tribes. All 12 tribes were together under King David. Not again. This, the, this behavior of, of division leads them into crazy things of political uh, assassinations and uh, uh, coups. and I mean, it, it's horrible. There's lies, there's betrayal, there's a treason. And, and, and this behavior leads them on to becoming exiled and slaves in Babylon. Seven years. And that's why they would sing songs of lament close next to the river because they knew they blew it. We actually had a chance to live out the kingdom of God here on earth and we blew it. And now we're here separate. There is no notion of nation anymore. There is no notion of unity in diversity anymore. There is no notion of tribes forming one nation. We blew it. So the remnant come back with Nehemiah and Ezra, but they're never truly free again. If you remember, they're under the, the power of the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans, and then there is silence, remember? There's darkness for centuries. And that's the, that, that gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Remember that? Until, until Jesus shows up walking on water, turning water into wine, hugging little children and blessing them, defying the teachers of the law. But most important, beyond the miracles, beyond the multiplication of, of bread and fish, beyond the healings, beyond the deliverances, Jesus comes in bringing a kingdom message. 
That's what it was. More than miracles, Jesus brought the kingdom reality. More than the healings, Jesus brought something that they knew, the Jewish people knew they needed, the kingdom. They knew they blew it back there. And now they're looking and saying, maybe, maybe this is a man. Maybe this is the Messiah that will bring us a new chance to actually become a kingdom. And then Jesus has disciples. And that brings us to our third point. The kingdom of God is the only kingdom that embraces all tribes. Let me say that again. Our third point, that the kingdom of God is the only kingdom that embraces all tribes. He gathers his disciples and he tells them, you go and you preach the gospel of the kingdom. He didn't tell them, go preach the gospel of church growth. He didn't tell them, go preach the gospel of stadium Christianity. He never even preached, hey, or told them, preach gospel of revival. No, he said, go preach the gospel of the kingdom. And he's living times where he sees the Roman empire imposing a monocultural on top of its subjects and jesus says no 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 no, it's not going to be like that we will have unity and diversity in this kingdom and he says therefore i need my own ecclesia you know the ecclesia was an agency that the romans used to preach and to impose in its subjects the Roman way of thinking, the Roman way of doing, the Roman way of living. Jesus says, no, 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 no. The kingdom of God is going to be moving forward by this ecclesia that will be a vehicle to take the kingdom reality. But not so that people would look alike, think alike, act alike. It will be to the nations. That's why it's important that you would understand what happened in Pentecost. That's why it's important that you would understand what he meant in Matthew 28, verse 19, when he tells, tells them, this is the great commission, make discipleship, make disciples of all nations. He's not saying, hey, you go there and you make sure that you format everybody to think Western Christianity. No, no, no. He's saying, hey, you better start telling them this is how you live North American Christianity. He never said that. He says, go make disciples of all nations we will have unity in diversity once we place ourselves under the umbrella of something greater than our own identities which is the kingdom of god the ecclesia was 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 birthed in the upper room when the holy spirit comes in pentecost acts chapter 2 and you will read there that there was people from all over the place you know, there was, there was people that, that, that were from Cyrene, they were from uh, uh, Mesopotamia, they were from modern-day Turkey, they were from uh, Arabia, all of them in one place, and the Holy Spirit endorses with his outpour. You see, till today, we, we travel and we look at the nations, and I think there hasn't been one nation that I've been to where the problem is not ethnicity, where the problem is not ethnicity. There's a move of the enemy that we find in Genesis 11 that till today 
is very active. In Genesis 11, you have the Tower of Babel. And in the Tower of Babel, people were actually building a tower with bricks. And bricks look alike. Bricks are alike. They're made of the same, of the same materials. And in the Tower of Babel, people spoke one language. The Tower of Babel was a monoculture. The Tower of Babel made sure that they all stuck together in one place. And God looks in Genesis 11 and says, this is not good. And God will bring them different languages. And the word of God says in Genesis 11 that he scatters them. He scatters them. You know that in Genesis chapter 1, in the cultural mandate, God is telling man, you spread out and you multiply and you bear fruit. Somehow in Genesis 11, they stopped spreading out. They stopped bearing fruit. They became those that came around a one culture, a one government. And they said, let's build something that is uniform. And God says, no, I've created you to be different ethnicities. And I will somehow bring unity in diversity. As we look through the last 100 years of human civilization, we see that there were two countries that try to make this Tower of Babel concept happen in modern days. The dream of one race, the dream of one people, a mono-ethnicity through ethnic cleansing. You see Germany, you see Japan, and that went bankrupt. We all know that. We study that in the history books. We know that never worked. That brought disaster. That brought hurt, brought pain. However, we're living days today where there's the opposite, the other extreme of the dream of coexistence through the imposition of politically correctness. Let me repeat this. In one side, you have this extreme of the dream of one race, one people that we all know never worked. But then we have the extreme of the coexistence through imposition of politically correctness. Where Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, LGBT, etc. Everybody have, have to fit in the same mold and they have to fit in, in something that, oh, forget whatever is biblical truth. We're going to impose you this truth that we call it the truth so that everybody can coexist. Let me tell you something. That's not biblical either. Because the Bible teaches us there is only one way to God, and his name is Jesus. There's only one way by, through which man should be saved, and that name is Jesus. And that's why we see today the world in this constant conflict crying out. The words that I believe were so true for today, the apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 22. He says that creation groans and travails for the manifestation of the sons of God. So the real question today, Kingdom Culture Church, as we look at the world, as we look at division, at conflict, as we look at people in despair, as we look in people trying to impose their rights or impose their way, the real question is, do we really see Jesus as a king that is worthy of all nations serving him? Do we really see Jesus as, as the king that could actually bring in 
unity and diversity? Or do we just see Jesus as the savior of our soul? Do we just look at Jesus saying, Jesus, you can save me, but hey, mainstream media, academia, specialists, PhDs, you tell us how to solve this issue of humanity. Is Jesus only good to be your savior? Or is Jesus your Lord and the king of kings? Because if he is the Lord of this world, I believe that we will carry something in our hearts of urgency to see this world look like heaven. You see, the question is, do we trust in Jesus enough to lift him up before our peers, to lift him up before our families, to lift him up before the nations and say that his kingdom is the solution for the division and the narrow thinking that we see in society? Because I believe that it's only the King Jesus that came from the lineage of King David that can unify all tribes, that can unify all ethnicities. And so today, kingdom culture, that is the mandate. The Lord is asking kingdom culture to really exemplify what kingdom culture looks like in Canada, what kingdom culture looks like in the nations. And as you do that, you will see that under the banner of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, there will be unity and diversity. Let me pray with you. Father, I thank you for Kingdom Culture Church and the heavenly mandate that's upon this kingdom embassy in Canada. And even as they're being the salt of the earth and light to the world in Canada, I know you have called them to the nations. And Father, I thank you because as they are taking a stand to live out your kingdom as the Bible teaches us. We recognize that there will be solutions coming out of that place. That governments can't figure out what the answer is. That universities won't be able to figure out what the answer is. But as they live kingdom, they will be the testimony of the answers that this world needs. That as we read the words of Paul in Romans 8 verse 22... As Ottawa groans and travails for the manifestations of the sons of God, may they see Kingdom Culture Church attending to that cry. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.